the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. This is BBC Essex. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Lucy Chamberlain, sitting in for Ken this week. And coming up on the podcast, I'll be answering your gardening questions on all things from lawns, fish and trees. I'll also be bringing you some top tips for things you can be getting on with in the garden, plus our Plant of the Week feature, all exclusive to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. This is BBC Essex. Let's start then with the plant of the week, which is Nissus sylvatica, otherwise known as the black gum. I first came across this tree when I was working at RHS Wisley Gardens in Surrey and I was absolutely taken away by how stunning it is. It has gorgeous, gorgeous autumn colours, which is why I'm urging you to seek out this plant now. Uh, The leaves are a bit like a maple um, and at this time of year they turn the most beautiful purple and golden yellow. It really is a sight to be seen rest of the year the leaves are a lovely green colour. Um, it's a tree that's not for a small garden. I'll say that right now. It does get to about 60 or 70 foot tall. And one of the most striking things about Nyssa is that it has these lovely sweeping branches, what we call a skirt of the tree. And they are almost as wide as the tree is tall. And it looks absolutely stunning. Looks like um, a ball gown. That's what it reminds me of. It likes a moist soil, in f- a free-draining soil, Um, but moisture retentive. So if you've got sandy soil, just add in some organic matter to it. If you've got a clay soil, again, add organic matter to make it more free-draining. It likes full sun. Full sun will give you the best autumn leaf colour. And um, it doesn't need to be pruned too much. You can, if you want to, nibble off the lower branches, but do be mindful that you're spoiling the shape of the tree if you do that too much. And the main central trunk, again, just allow it to go tall and proud. So, Nissa Sylvatica is this week's Plant of the Week. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Still to come on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, I'll bring you some top tips on things you can be doing in the garden this week. But let's now hear what you've called me about. We'll start with Sue in Hullbridge. Hello, Lucy. Hi. Um, I, hello. I've got... Oh, Probably over 100 strawberry plants, all in. Um, I wanted to know what to do with them to overwinter them. Oh, so, so your, your line broke up slightly. So you say you've got uh, quite a few strawberry plants and you've got them, they've just arrived, have they? Is that what you're saying? No, no, I've had them for a while. I've been um, taking runners off of them and everything else to increase my stock. Yeah. But everything's in pot. Right. So they've been in there for quite some time, some of them six months, some a bit less than that. I understand. But I wanted to know what I'm supposed to do with them to overwinter them. They're in quite large pots, some of them, uh, two litre pots. Right. See, that was going to be my first question, because strawberries, they can quite happily overwinter in those pots, um, especially if they're a decent size. And two litre is a decent size for one strawberry plant. If they were in smaller pots, I maybe would suggest potting them up just so that they don't dry out through the winter. But um, have you got like a cold frame or somewhere like that where you're going to put them or where were you thinking of having them? But that's just it. I have no idea where to put them at the moment. Right. They're all literally just outside 
Um, they're waiting for me to finish some raised beds, yeah. but they won't be ready until early next year. Until the spring. Fine, I, I understand. So, um, as if, if you can, they're fully hardy. It doesn't matter if they get frosted or frozen or anything like that. In fact, actually, it does help the flowering if strawberries expe- experience a chill. So um, that's that. Don't worry about that in the slightest. Uh, if you wanted to, you could huddle them together against a sheltered wall, um, but there's not really any major need to do so. Um, you can lay them all out on top of the raised beds if they're not completely finished yet. Um, but as I say, they're fully hardy plants, so you don't really, in that sense, need to do anything major to them. Do I need to water them through the winter at all, or not really? No. No, just let la- no. nature, they, they won't really dry out an awful lot anyhow. Um, so um, I wouldn't worry about watering them. If you get them too wet, they could rot off. So uh, the best thing to do is just, as I say, just forget about them. If you wanted to chuck a bit of fleece over them, you could do that. But as I say, it's not essential. Um, and then just get ready, get the beds ready so that you can get them in the gand in the spring. Excellent. That's All right. lovely. Thank you ever so much. That's my pleasure. Okay, thanks, thanks Sue. Right, we're going to move straight on to... Viv in stand for the La Hope. So Viv, you've got a question about orchids, is that right? Yes, yes. Um, I've got them on my kitchen windowsill. Mm-hmm. One of them has been in bloom for well over a year as the one lot of blooms fall off, another lot open up. Gorgeous. But it's um, roots, it's tap roots or whatever they call them. Mm-hmm. I've got about 10 roots on it, but yep. three of them are over one and a half foot long. <laughs> Can I cut them back because they're coming down onto me draining balls Are now? they, are they give, give, tickling you when you're doing the washing up? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've probably got what we call a moth or- orchid, or the Latin name is the Phalaenopsis orchid, which is the, one is, of the yes, most yes, widely sold orchids. Yeah, and they are, they, they're stunning plants, and they can be made to flower at any time of the year. And obviously on yes. your kitchen windowsill, it's very, very happy there. Yes, um, I've got seven, seven uh, orchids oh. up there. Gorgeous. So Would you like some more? Um, well, yeah, I don't mind more. <laughs> so if anyone knows Viv and they want to get her a Christmas present, she wouldn't mind another Phalaenopsis orchid. She's got no, a bit of a national mind, collection no. going. Yes, um, yes. So the the long roots, if they are in your way, then um, if you cut a few of them off, it's not going to harm the plant. Please don't cut all of them off because they no. are um, helping the plant to extract humidity and moisture from the air. Yes. Or- orchids don't need an awful lot of feeding, but they do use those roots to get moisture and humidity from yes. the air. So, yeah, so, I wouldn't cut them all, but it's just the three yeah. that are really long. Yeah, the ones yeah. that are fighting for your for your um, washing up liquids. Yeah, yeah, those those ones those ones can come off with no problem at all. Okay, right. Thank all right. you. My bye. pleasure. My pleasure. Bye bye. What a lovely mental image Rich has just created in our minds there of washing up. Um, I'm going to move straight on to Eve from Harlow. How hi Eve? How can I help you? Hello, Lucy. Um, I caught the tail end of a, a question about feeding fish right. last week. Okay. Yeah. Um, my fish are uh, sluggish, mm-hmm. but they still keep coming up. So should I stick, keep feeding them or, or Well, um, so probably what was talked about last week was the fact that you can reduce the amount of feed that you give to your fish in the winter because they're not going to be quite so active. And as you say, your fish are sluggish, so I'm guessing they're just not swimming around quite so much. Um so Eve, you want to still feed them, but reduce the amount of feed that you give them by about half. Um, if you if you keep adding lots of feed to the water and the fish don't eat it, it won't actually make much noticeable difference in the winter months. But as soon as the spring comes, that feed will start to rot down in the water and it can cause algae and blanket weed to proliferate and bloom. So that's why we try not to feed our fish too much. So just reduce it by half until and when they if they stop actively feeding, then you can you can cut the feed out altogether. 
All right. Okay, my pleasure. My pleasure. Bye bye. Gosh, we've got questions coming thick and fast. Just to remind you, the number this morning is 0800 111 If you do want to call, get in there quick because the lines are buzzing. Um, we've got Charlie from Corringham. How can I help Charlie? Yes, good morning. Um, the question about a newly laid lawn. Okay, yes. It's not my lawn, it's a lady. I know she's laid this herself. It's, uh, it's only recently been laid, a few days, mm-hmm. but she wants to know about cutting it. Oh, well, as in, is she desperate to cut it, Charlie? Is that the idea, or is she just getting an idea of when it should be cut? She's just wondering what to to do next, you see. Yeah, so so some turf has been laid. Um, I'm gathering in these, because it's it's actually, uh, it's a really nice time of year to be laying turf. It's been quite warm in the day, and um, it's also, the ground is relatively moist as well. So um, the turf will hopefully root into the the top star really, really well, Charlie. So you can reassure her that. When it comes to cutting, um, because the nights are getting quite cold now, the grass isn't going to grow very much at all. So I would be saying to her not to worry so much about cutting the grass. Um, she just needs to make sure that it doesn't dry out. Um, as I say, the ground is relatively moist and we're getting heavy dews in the morning. But if we get, um, it should. I think it's going to rain a little bit next week. But if she's in an area where it doesn't rain too much, tell her just to water. Um, just to ensure that turf doesn't dry out and it knits together with the topsoil. But tell her to worry about the watering, not the cutting. Well, when, when will she cut? Leave it till next spring or something? Probably leave it till the spring. It all depends on the temperature. If we get a mild spell um, in another fortnight's time, then she might want to cut it then. But for the moment, I think just tell her that the most likely time for her to cut is going to be in the spring. OK, thanks very much. My pleasure, my pleasure. We're moving straight on now to Janice Leon C. Hi, Janice, how can I help? Another question oh, about lawns. Yes. yes, we've got rather a strange um, curvy trail on our lawn, which has gone <laughs> completely brown oh, and gosh. it's killed the grass. Um, we did have a few um, dry patches, obviously, after mm. the very hot summer. My yeah. husband treated it, uh, put some grass seed down, and that's taken quite well. But suddenly, about a, a week or so ago, this strange trail, it just goes all around, it's a bit like a snake, all the way around the lawn. Isn't and we're rather peculiar? puzzled because this has never happened before. No. Um, we no. suspect, possibly, I don't know whether you would agree with me, that it could be a fox that's laid a, a trail. Um, uh, we just don't know what to think. It, it looks very odd, and we yeah. don't really know what to do with it. Do you know, Janice, you're confused. I'm confused. In all <laughs> honesty, it sounds a bit bewildering, doesn't it? So, so just to explain, so the 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 trail that you're talking about is it? Um, how wide is it? Would you say about five, five, six inches, something okay. like that? Okay. And the how? What's the length of it? Is it like going on for meters or feet? Oh or? yes, yes. Um, yeah. it, difficult to say. I'd say about mm, twelve meters, something yeah. like that. And sort of an irregular yeah. pattern, so a not curve, a straight line. Curled, like, a, like a snake. Okay. Um, really okay. strange. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that are springing to mind for me. Um, did Have you applied any like lawn weed killer or any uh, weed and feed to your turf at all? I think my, dad, my husband did sort of early on to sort of help the regrowth from the summer. I think he okay. did sort of treat it with something. Okay. Um, now that would be okay if he, if he didn't over apply it. And if he also ensured that the once if you apply like a, a weed and feed or autumn fertilizer, yeah. it's important to make sure it's watered in afterwards. Yeah. Otherwise, it can scorch the turf. He's very careful. I Great. know he would. He, he does pride himself on his lawn. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, so it won't be that. Like I say, just for anyone else doing that that situation, if you are yeah. putting weed and feed down, you do need to water because it is still quite dry at the moment. So just yes. bear that in mind. Because uh, yes. I was thinking that might scorch the grass, but it doesn't sound 
from what, what you're saying, Janice, that your husband will have let that happen on his watch. No, so no. we need to think of something else. There, it could be something like a fungal disease, like a you know, like have you heard of fairy rings? Have you come across those before? No. So it's no, like um, it's a it basically it's a um a fungal growth, a, a ring of mushrooms. Yeah. Um, now, you tend to see the mushrooms appearing in the autumn, but at other times of the year, then you tend to get these little bands, which is why I'm leaning towards this as, as, a, as a possible cause, bands about uh, a foot wide of yeah, turf that die. Yeah, really sound like that. This is too sort of spread out in a way. And I've never noticed mushrooms growing on the lawn ever. Okay, gosh. Um, um, it might yeah. be worth getting a spade and just poking around in the earth, I think, just to see <laughs> it could be chafer gubs or leather jackets or something like that, but... I tell you yes. what, I'm a bit fox. If anyone else has got any ideas about what that could be with Janice's mystery turf problem, <laughs> well, I'd love to know as well. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody does come up with a, a solution or an yeah. idea of what it might be. But I do, I do think looking down at the soil level as well, just check yes. the health of the turf roots and yes. see if there are any grubs in the soil. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I say, things like chafer grubs or leather jackets might be causing yeah. the problem. But yeah, a bit of a mystery, Janice. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, many thanks for your help, Lucy. Appreciate okay. that. It's my pleasure. Bye. My Bye. pleasure. So um, I think we've got time to squeeze in one more call before the travel. So we'll go to John of Corringham. How, how can I help you, John? Uh, so, uh, I'm, uh, I'm John from Cowan Upco. I'm Hello. arranging a memorial garden for World War I and World War Two, And I would like to know what can I put up at the side of a trellis at the side of a trellis, you say, John? Yes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. What so you, plant would you recommend for that? So, do you want the? So, if it's against the trellis, are you talking about a climber here, John, that actually wants to go up the trellis, or is it just something at the bottom to keep a climber um, company? Something, something to climb up. Right. Okay. Um, there's a particular rose that I love called Dance to Foe. Uh, I was actually pruning it yesterday, and the reason I'm going to suggest that is it because it's a it's a nice climber. It's got the most beautiful um, old fashioned scarlet flower, and so I'm thinking for the to tie in with the the red poppies, a red rose would look absolutely gorgeous up some trellis. So uh, there may be other red roses that people um, particularly like, uh, but as I say, my favourite is Dance de Foe. Uh, and that's what I would suggest, John, to put up the trellis. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. This is BBC Essex. So back to your gardening questions in a moment. But right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, I've got some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden this week. The first I'd love to talk about is sweet peas. I adore these annual plants um, and not many people realise that you can actually sow them in the autumn. Normally people sow them in the spring but they're fully hardy and if you sow them in the autumn now they will be much more strong and robust and give you better flowers next year. So um, you can soak the seeds or you can scratch them and you need to do that because the seed coat's quite hard and then you want to put them into deep pots of multi-purpose compost put them somewhere frost free so if you've got a greenhouse or a porch or conservatory that would be perfect and they'll germinate in a couple of weeks just as they get tall pinch the tops out and then they'll be absolutely fine for planting out in the spring another plant that i absolutely adore and it's looking spectacular at the moment is the dahlia now dahlias are uh, what we call a tender perennial 
so they don't like the frosts. And also one of their bedfellows, cannas, uh, a similar plant, very jungly and exotic looking, flowering at the moment with lovely lush leaves. They also don't like the frost. So um, I know it's getting a lot colder now and we need to be mindful of that with these two plants. Um, when it comes to uh, there being regular frosts in the garden, lift up your dahlias and your cannas and store them somewhere frost-free. Otherwise, they might not make it through the winter. You can either keep them in pots or you can dry off the dahlia tubers and store them in uh, buckets of sand or dry compost. The cannas, again, just cut down their top growth and leave them in some containers. Sit them somewhere frost-free like a greenhouse or conservatory uh, and keep them just, just moist, not too soggy, but not bone dry. And they'll be absolutely fine through until the spring. I'll have more tips for you in the next seven days later on in the podcast. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Um, we're going to be speaking to Angie and Eileen and Hugh. Uh, first of all, Angie from Southend, you've got a question about fruit trees. You're a lady after my own heart. I absolutely adore fruit trees. How can I help you? Right. Uh, we, I have um, lots of fruit, fruit trees like um, apple, pears, um, plums. Mm-hmm. So, um, can you tell me when is the right time to prune them, please? Yes, I can. Yeah, absolutely. So, the um, plums or uh, any other fruit that you've got that's got a stone in it, so it would be um, apricots, peaches, cherries, plums or gauges. If you've got any of those fruit trees, Angie, you've got a job for the weekend. You need to do the pruning for those trees now. Um, I'll, re- I'll explain why. So stone fruits are um, vulnerable to two diseases, one called silverleaf, another called bacterial canker. And if you prune those trees in the winter... These diseases are far more prevalent in the winter and they enter via the pruning wounds. So the idea is that you prune your stone fruit straight after harvest. So ideally late August going into September. The weather is nice and sunny and dry at the minute so you're absolutely fine to do it now but please don't leave it any later. Don't prune them in the winter. So that's the priority job for you Angie at the moment. When it comes to your apples and your pears you can heave a sigh of relief because you don't need to prune those until December, January, February, something like that. So um, that's the timings. Are you happy with how to prune these trees? Do you know what you're doing? Um, How far do we go down to cut them? It really depends so much on what you're trying to do with those trees, if they're young trees or old ones, or if you're training them against a wall or if they're freestanding like an orchard tree. So it might be worth, Angie, um, doing a little bit of research. And uh, young trees. They, they're all young trees, are they, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for the moment, you might need to not do so much pruning. You might need to just shape them and actually ensure that you've got the branches in the right place. Are they against a wall or are they freestanding? Freestanding. Freestanding. So yeah. um, the how many years have they been in the ground for, Angie? Uh, about five years. Oh, right. Okay, so they're youngish, but they should have already got their a good initial shape is that are they actually looking how you want them to um yes yes and yeah. no kind of <laughs> trying to get them into shape of course yes so the ones that you say yes to that are in a good shape you probably don't need to do an awful lot to those maybe just reduce the length of this year's growth down to a half or something like that um but the ones that are not playing ball and haven't shaped up how you like them, um, 
what you can do is you can prune them hard to a dormant bud or a side shoot and hopefully that will then develop a framework stem for you to get the shape that you're after. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. But as I say, the timing, all your stone fruit, so you mentioned you've got plums, you need to do those now. Apples yeah. and pears, you've got a bit of breathing space and do those ones in the winter, Angie. All right? If, if, if we did do the apples and pears today, yeah. would that be an issue? No, it wouldn't, not at all. Um, I say it's just that you've got to prioritise the plums because uh, they will become vulnerable to these two diseases, silver leaf and bacterial okay. canker. January, February then. Yeah. Yeah, so so the plums do now, apples and yeah. pears. If you want to go out there and prune them now, no problem. Okay. All right? All right. Totally good. Okay. Thank okay. You. Good luck with that. Pruning can be one of those things that's uh, bewildering and uh, a puzzlement, but I absolutely love a good prune, so I really do hope that Angie's uh, on the right track there. So we're going to go straight into another call. Eileen from Southend, you've got another fruity question. Yes, I have. Um, good morning. Um, I've got two blueberries that I bought last winter. I know nothing about them. I put them in fair-sized pots in the bottom of the garden. Mm. Um, one of them has got quite a few, uh, three or four side shoots coming up quite a way, uh, right at the edge of the large pot yeah. um, from the actual main stem. And firstly, I'm not sure if I should cut those off or what I should do with them. And also, well, yeah, I don't, should I put them in bigger pots or should they be okay where they are? Or do I'm I water them in the winter? I'm with you. You need some. Go- so, Eileen, why are they at the bottom of the garden, these poor blueberries? Why have they been banished to the bottom? Um, well, because that's where the patio area is, and they stand there and they're out of the wind. Oh, okay, um, fair enough. And that's well on the allotment plot, so that's where <laughs> the bottom of the garden. <laughs> no, they're, they're fine, they're in the sun there as well. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah, sun down there. And they have gorgeous autumn the colours. Yeah, one of them is, um, I've, I think it's the Simeon Blue Jay. Blue Jay, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's a mid-season. I'm not sure what the other one is, but the other one's got quite a red stem. Yeah. Yeah, like I say, they, um, blueberries do have it this time of year. If any of you out there own blueberry bushes, you're probably looking at the most gorgeous scarlet bush at this time. Before the leaves fall, they turn the most wonderful red colour. So um, they have that yeah, going have for them. All the leaves have fallen off virtually now. There's only two they? or three leaves left. Yeah. 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 So when it comes to pruning these bushes, Eileen, all you need to do really is um, because these are still quite young plants, you don't need to be too. Um, too full on with the pruning all you want to do is remove any stems that are really low down because if they start to produce berries the berries berries will be dangling in the soil and getting dirty um so any that are really any shoots that are really weak or, or quite low down they can be cut off right to the to the base so that's the first thing to do and then if you have any stems that are crossing or congested or looking like they're dying back again you can just nibble those back a little bit with secateurs to shape the bushes up but apart from that with young bushes you don't really need to do too much Um, the main thing to bear in mind with blueberries is that they like an acid soil Uh, if you go to the garden center look for compost that's called ericaceous that's what they want to be well done perfect good girl you've done the right thing there and they also they do like to be kept relatively moist now i'm only saying that because they like to be kept moist in the summer months spring and summer and autumn they do want to be kept quite well watered in the winter they can be kept a lot drier so you don't need don't need to water them too much in the winter but in spring and summer and autumn do give them a good soak and if you think they're getting congested in their pot then now is a good time to pot them up into some more ericaceous compost into a slightly bigger container 
Okay, then going to say the, the shoots that are coming out there, they're right under the soil from the main stem and they come right to the edge. So do I go under the soil to cut them right back to the actual main plant? How tall are those shoots, though, Eileen, once they start growing? Are um, they... They're about, about 14, 16 inches long. Yeah, so it, to be honest, they're still going to produce you a, a nice root. They're not dangling on the soil. So I think those ones I would actually leave in place. Oh, OK, fair enough. Fine, yeah. right. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. My pleasure. Help. All right, OK. Take care. Bye-bye. Um, so that was Eileen with her blueberries. Um, we're going to move on to Hugh now with his fish. How can I help with your fish, Hugh? Hello, Lucy. Hi. When the, when the water temperature drops for, through autumn and winter, I normally feed them wheat germ feed, which is more digestible ah, okay. than so, the normal summer you know, feed. Right, yeah. So this is relating to the call that we had earlier on this morning, is, the lady yeah. who was asking about feeding her fish. So you're saying that wheat germ-based... Yeah, uh, pellets are it's more or less a you know priority because they mm. digest easier, and I think if you carried on using the summer feed, they would. Ah, uh, oh, fantastic! Not only uh, probably eat it, but then regret it afterwards. <laughs> would it give them a, a little bit of indigestion? Would you say you? <laughs> oh, bless! And th- so the wheat germ feed is that something that people can get from garden centres, or do yes, they need to go can, to a yes, special? Yeah. Tetra make it, and yep. other pe- other firms make it. Yeah. Lovely. And yeah, what kind of what kind of wheat germ? Wheat germ. Or wheat germ, uh, wheat germ feed or whatever. Yeah. 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 And so, what kind of fish have you got in your pond, Hugh? Have you got? Are you got the lovely koi carp pond, or what kind of things well, have you we got there? We used to have koi carp, but unfortunately, we have a visit of a heron. So every so oh, often. Oh dear. And we did lose some during the previous summer. Not last, you know, not this summer, but the previous summer. Yeah. Yeah. And, but. Uh, We've down to sort of goldfish and there's a few koi in there now, I think small ones, but yeah. Yes, so have you got some netting over the top now to protect from more visits from the heron? Yes, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah I don't blame them. They're gorgeous birds, aren't they? But they're so aggressive yeah. and yeah. they've got a bit of an appetite to them, haven't they? So, yeah, I think yeah, there's one that's got a root in rain every morning. It sort of goes rain and... Uh, yeah, oh dear. Yes, uh, we want them to move along from your pond to you, don't we? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for that advice. So we're, we're talking about moving on to wheat germ-based food for the winter months. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Hugh. I'm very grateful. So um, that was Hugh there. Um, we're just going to speak, speak quickly to Cathy in a moment about uh, some honey fungus. So I'll hopefully help you there, Cathy. Before I do, just to remind you that the, the number, if you want to call this morning, is 0800 111 um, if you want to text, you can do that too. Uh, the number, the, the, the text is 81333 and please start your text with the word Essex. I'm just very gonna, quickly going to go to um, a telephone call. We've also got a text coming in, so let's deal with those both. First, the caller is Cathy from Chapel. Cathy, you've got honey fungus, is that right? Well, I don't know. That's why I'm calling. Okay, we've okay. Got, um, we had a very large Blenheim apple tree in our garden that we inherited. We moved in over 20 years ago. And um, this year, some of the branches, I can't say we've really maintained it terribly well, but some of the branches this year just died. Some were okay and some had apples on, but the insects got them. Um, But then I noticed that at the base, there was a white mushroom looking thing, which I thought I could have kicked off the bark. But actually it was hard. It It was with the texture of wood. And then when we cut that off, um, we noticed that going up inside the other bark, the, the, the other bit of trunk, um, it's all hollow and there's another white hard thing going up 
fungus going up inside that. I see. So we've, we've cut the tree back to a skeleton and just thought it had this fungus and didn't think too much of it. Mm. I went away for a week and came back and thought that we had frost all over the lawn. And um, have, when we looked, it isn't frost. It's some kind of... Well, it, it looks like frost, but it's like a spidery white thing all over the lawn. Okay, right, right. That's and very it's interesting. It's a coincidence, but I don't know if the two are actually connected. I don't know if it's the mycelium. Yes, yeah. Well, well, that's something to bear in mind, Cathy. So, so you say it's a Blenheim orange apple, is that right? Yes. Yeah, and it's uh, how old is this tree, would you say? Um, I would think it's probably 40, 50 years old. Yes, yeah. So it's in its mature years. It's probably slightly yeah. on the wane, slightly on the wane. And I don't know about you or I, but when we're on the wane, we do tend to then succumb to uh, ailments. And it might be. Oh, <laughs> it might well be that your apple has succumbed to something. Now, um, apples are prone to honey fungus. So we do need to be mindful of that. Although, um, let's just talk again a little bit more about the fungus that you can see. So you've got these white fungal strands on the grass on the surface of the soil. Now, if honey fungus was present, you'd actually expect to be the, find those white fungal strands in the earth and also over the roots of the apple trees. So I'm not sure at the moment whether you've got honey fungus or not. You may not have. Um, and also, can you describe the, the... You say you've got toadstools or fungi. Are they what we would call, um, like your classic, you know, when you buy a, a mushroom from the gardens... Uh, sorry, from the supermarket... Or are they more like a bracket fungus, what we call sort of coming out from the base of the tree? Um, it was There was a branch that was cut off mm-hmm. and uh, some time ago and at the bottom of the tree. And over the whole thing was this white mushroom, probably the size of a football. Right. But okay. I thought it was something that would be, that I would be able to kick off yeah. like a, yeah, a mushroom or a toadstool. But actually, we had to saw it off because it had the texture of wood. I'm with you. And the bit I'm that, with you. The bit that goes up inside the bark of the other the other branch going up, the other trunk, um, that's similarly, that's that's got the texture of wood. But it's yeah. white as though it was a big mushroom. I think what you've got there, Cathy, is something called a bracket fungus, which is also yeah. something that can cause ill health to trees. Uh, where I garden at East Dunland Hall, we've got a, a horse chestnut that's got bracket fungus in it and also a weeping ash on the main lawn. They both are getting attacked by bracket fungi. Um, and as you say, that so honey fungus would produce a, a lots and lots of small mushrooms in a cluster. And they they could be at the base of the plant or they could be a little bit further away where the roots are. And they're quite soft. Like I say, like the mushrooms you buy from a supermarket, what you're describing is something much tougher than that. And as I say, bracket fungi are, um, they're like... Um, don't have an obvious stalk they actually just arise from the base or the trunk of the tree and it can be difficult to remove them without sawing them off so i think that might be what you have so probably not honey fungus but you've got a bracket fungus there kathy and sadly it most likely will over time cause your plenum uh, orange apple tree to slowly die back and probably eventually die once that bracket fungus penetrates across the diameter of the trunk that's normally when you then get fatalities occurring because of that so um it might take will it spread to the other trees across the lawn it shouldn't do no on the grass as well i don't think it will spread by the grass i wonder if the, the the white growth you've got on the grass might be um 
something this time of year we get a lot of heavy dew and you can actually get something called snow mold which is a, a mold that occurs in the autumn on the grass and it only attacks mm. the grass it's not attacking attacking the trees so i think we'll for the moment we'll ignore the grass uh, the growth that you're getting on the grass and focus on the tree um mm. so the bracket fungus could eventually kill that apple tree off so but it might take quite a few years some of bracket fungi are very aggressive others are much more slow to act so um just keep an eye on the tree if any limbs start to die back then cut those out because they might become unstable and they may fall and hurt somebody um but don't feel that you've got to take the tree out immediately uh, as I say, the oh, the, okay. the horse chestnut that we've got and the weeping ash at the Donald and the Hall, where I'm head gardener, we're not taking those. We've seen the bracket fungi. Uh, we're observant of them, but we're not. Then ne- the knee jerk reaction isn't to straight away take those uh, trees out. Uh, they're still lovely trees, and so we're going to just gently manage them. And any limbs that die back, we're going to cut off. All right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Lovely. Thank yeah. you very much. Okay, my Thank pleasure. You. Thanks for calling. Good luck with that. Um, just to remind you that, um, as I say, Lucy Chamberlain here is sitting in for Ken. Um, we can take texts, we can take emails, we can take calls. There's a few lines, three, if you do want to give me a call at the moment. The number is 0800 111 I'm going to jump to the text now. We've had a text from Paul in Braintree. Um, he's saying, hi, when is the best time to transfer a fruit tree? And in this instance, Paul has got a medlar tree from a pot to the ground. So, um, Paul, I would suggest that now is a fantastic time to do that. Um, fruit trees can grow in containers quite well, but a medlar tree being it ultimately can be quite a large tree. So, yes, um, ideally get it out of the pot into the ground and the autumn is a perfect time to plant. Uh, the soil is cooling down, moisture levels are on the rise. I think they will be raining, it'll be raining next week, so Moisture levels are gently on the rise. Um, So, yes, uh, if you want to put it into the garden, just bear in mind that these are quite wide spreading trees. They like a position in full sun. Um, So take it out of the container, dig your planting hole. Uh, If you've got a light sandy soil, maybe add some compost or some organic matter of some some sort, some slow-release fertiliser like bone meal, something along those lines. Um, you might want to stake it for a little while just to make sure it's, it's stable and then once the roots settle in, you, you can take the stake away after a couple of years. But yeah, poor job for the weekend. Now would be a perfect time to plant that tree. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. This is BBC Essex. Right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, I've got some more top tips. One of them is to get ahead of the weeds. I don't know about you, but all summer I've been hoeing, hoeing, hoeing. My back has not thanked me for it in the slightest. But now the temperatures are getting cold, especially at night. It means that weed seeds won't have the power to germinate. So if you can, if you've got bare soil, just give it one final tickle over with the hoe, especially if you can do that on a sunny day with a slight breeze those weeds will burn up really really quickly and i promise you that will be the last time you'll have to think about any kind of weeding until the spring because the soil temperatures are too cold so it will save you lots of heartache over the winter if you can just hoe now just want to also talk about turf um september and october are key months for laying turf and you can squeeze in um some turf laying now but please do it sooner rather than later because the temperatures are getting colder and it may be that the turf, um, if it gets frosted, it would dry out. 
So um, if you do want to lay turf, as I say, um, you can do it now. Be quick about it. Um, if you're talking about sowing grass seed instead of laying turf, it's a great thing to do because it's a lot cheaper if you've got a large area. But really now the soil temperatures are a little bit too cold to be sowing grass seed. Uh, it probably won't germinate very well. So if you want to sow grass seed instead, then wait until March. Keep listening to the podcast. There's still more hints and tips to come. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. I should say we've got quite a few texts coming through. I hadn't noticed that, so I do apologise. And I'm going to race through those now. Uh, The first one is from Joe in Basildon. Hi, Lucy. I have a small rose, small-ish rose bush. The ish is the important word here. Small-ish rose bush that was, has dropped all its leaves. It's about two foot high. How much and when should I prune it back? So that's from Joe in Basildon. Um, so, Joe, just to explain that if a rose has dropped all its leaves at this time of year, it's OK. That's not a bad thing. I've got some roses at Donnellan Hall where I look after that have still in full leaf, others that have dropped their leaves. It tends to be the younger plants that are dropping their leaves that maybe haven't got quite such an established root system so maybe they're suffering in the the drought that we are we are still having the soil is still quite dry um so if you want to prune it back it depends on the type of rose that you have joe if you've got something called a hybrid tea then it actually can be pruned back really quite hard um you could do it now it might be better to wait until november december january that's a good time to prune your roses when they're fully fully dormant uh get some loppers uh if it's a hybrid tea and cut it back to a really low framework i'm talking about six eight inches high be cross with that rose joe and don't show it any mercy whatsoever um the idea with that with hybrid teas is that they have stems that are very vigorous and they then terminate in a lovely strong flower so the harder you prune the stronger the growth will be and the better flowering you'll get as a result um if you've got something called a floribunda or a shrub rose they don't need to be pruned quite so hard so what you need to do, Joe, is check the variety that you've got and then work out what classification of, of rose it belongs to. We haven't talked about climbers and ramblers. Again, if it's a climber or a rambler and it's a new plant, tie in new stems to build up a framework of stems. If it's a more mature plant, then those framework stems, you cut the side shoots of those back to two or three inches. That, Joe, is rose pruning in a nutshell. There's lots more to talk about from that. So as I say, the first thing for you to do is to work out exactly what rose you have, work out what class it belongs to, whether it's a hybrid tea, a climber or a rambler, and then we'll take it from there. So I hope that helps you to start off with. Uh, if you do your research on the rose, Joe, uh, we're going to be here next week. Ken will be back in, in place of me. So um, you can give him a call and he can give you more details on your specific rose type. Um, Leslie from Basildon has also given us a text. Uh, She's talking about wanting to plant bulbs and wondering whether she's missed the boat, whether it's a little bit too late now. Leslie, I would say definitely no. Um, We've got a load of tulips that I've just planted this week um, in the the meadow we look after at Donnellan Hall. They're, They're species tulips. They only grow to about five, six inches tall. They're absolutely stunning in the spring. Um, But tulips you actually do plant in November rather than in September or October. So tulips in particular uh, you can be planting now. And if the garden centres have still got loads of daffodils or scillas or crocus and they haven't shifted them because the main time to plant bulbs is in September or October, you might be able to grab yourself a bargain or two. So my advice 
get down to the garden centre this weekend, see if there's any bulbs to be purchased. Tulips is perfect time to plant now. As I say, if there's bags of crocus or daffs or stillers or alliums, anything along those lines, lilies as well, then they can still be planted at this time of year. Um, uh, we've got a call from, uh, sorry, a text from Peter in Colchester. Peter says he's a keen allotment grower and he really would like to try growing overwintering broad beans. He's tried the spring sowings before with great success, but he's wondering whether he can try the overwintering types. And yes, Peter, I would say absolutely affirmatively yes. I am a real fan of broad beans. Uh, and there's a variety that I grow every autumn called Aquadulce Claudia. And it is the benchmark variety for sowing in the autumn. It's fully hardy. It will withstand uh, winter uh, snow and frost. I sowed some last autumn and obviously last week we had a, an absolutely fierce, fierce winter. The plants did through that perfectly well um, and gave me a crop of pods in May and early June. If you're sowing broad beans in the spring, you'll get a crop from them maybe in late June going into July. So that's the one advantage of sowing broad beans early uh, in the autumn is you get an earlier crop uh, as I say Aquadulce Claudia is the one to go for Peter um, it's really they're quite tall plants they can grow easily to four or five foot tall so bear that in mind when you're placing them um, if anyone else out there is thinking that sounds like a nice idea then if you've got a nice light free draining soil then yes it's a really good idea to sow overwintering broad beans if you're on sticky clay um, I know where I am in Fingringho, we've got lovely light sandy soil and literally just a mile down the road there's a village called Aberton and it's on the heaviest clay. It might be better to sow those seeds in modules and then you can plant those out uh, in the spring. But they'll still give you a head start on spring sown broad beans. I had another text from Carol in Billericay. She's um, wondering what to do with all the leaves that are falling at the moment. I think what's happening is the cold nights are causing leaves to fall in their thousands. Um, I think she's, she's saying she's worried here that the leaves are going to damage her lawn if they lay on the top of it. And yes, Carol, I would say that could be the case. So if you can, you do want to pick those leaves up. Um, I don't know what the size of the garden is that you've got, but if you've got a I mean, where we are at Donham Hall, our job at the moment is continually picking up leaves with the ride-on mower. Uh, so if you've got a large expanse of grass, that's a really, really quick way of picking the leaves up. You can also use things, things obviously like a leaf blower, um, just an ordinary push mower if you've got one of those. Uh, if you've got a small patch, then a springtime rake is perfect for lifting up leaves. Um, once you've picked them up, you don't necessarily just need to chuck them on the compost heap, although they will rot down. You can make something called leaf mould, Carol, which is um, a, a really sumptuous compost ingredient. So, um, And the way to do that is literally just to stack all your leaves into a wire container, about a, a metre-sized cube of wire, say like chicken wire, and just put sort of um, wooden posts in the corners to keep it nice and straight. Pack the leaves tightly into there and then just forget about them. Nothing will happen. Um, you can, they will just slowly, slowly rot down and um, then give it a year or so. As I say, do forget about them. Give it a year or so. You can then run th over them um, with your shears, uh, run them through a riddle, and they are the most amazing compost ingredient that you could wish for. So that would be my advice for the leaves. 
the BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. So back to your calls, text and emails shortly, but let's take a final look at the top tips for this week. I don't know if you've got children or grandchildren, but I absolutely know for certain that you'll be well aware it is Halloween in the next few days. You might be doing trick-or-treating over the weekend or you might wait until in the week when the final date actually comes. But pumpkins and squashes, if you've been growing some on your allotment or on your veg patch for your children or grandchildren to carve, now is the time to cut them. They don't like being frosted. So again, these cold nights now, uh, if they do get frosted, it could impact upon their storage potential. Things like butternut squash and crown prints will potentially store for months going into March or April of next year, but not if they get frosted. So get them off the vine, get the knife to them if you want to carve some faces into them and scare the neighbours, but do get them off the plants and get them somewhere frost free now. Another thing you've got to be mindful of at this time of year is the um, stone fruit in your garden. And when I say the word stone fruit, I'm talking about things such as apricots, peaches, plums, cherries and green gauges. These trees don't need much pruning, but if you do need to do some pruning, say if you've got them tied in against a wall or a fence or they're just getting too top heavy, then the time to do that is now. Um, They are quite vulnerable to a disease called silverleaf and also to something called bacterial canker. And these problems can be more prevalent in the winter. So the idea is to prune them in the summer once you've picked the fruits. So if you haven't done that already, as I say, it really is the last chance to prune your stone fruit now. Now, straight back to your gardening questions. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. This is BBC Essex. And we'll move straight to Audrey. How can I help? Oh, good morning, Lucy. Um, Yes, our lawn in the back garden, when we wake up in the morning, we have all these little holes um, up here. Um, My husband, he did see a badger in the garden one day, one evening. We wondered if it was them. Any ideas? Well, um, I should say, anyone who knows where I live, which is this lovely village called Fingeringhoe, it's just outside Colchester. Now, we have got this light, sandy soil, and badgers love it absolutely love it now um so when you mentioned badgers audrey i i like to think that sadly through experience i've got now knowledge of what badger damage looks like which i'd rather not because they can be quite destructive so when you say you've got holes there how big are these holes they're not very big actually and they're not very deep they dig up the the actual grass and um, the turf so what are we talking uh, about a couple of inches or what Yes, yeah. about that, that. That's all. But they're all over. <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, so badger damage uh, is very destructive, and they they will root around in grass for what they're looking for is is worms and grubs, um, beetle larvae, that kind of thing. Anything that's got nice protein to it, because at this time of year their food sources do become a bit more scarce. So, if you're pl- planting autumn bulbs. Or as I say, the, the, the lawn has got sort of grubs or chafer grubs or leather jackets in it. Badgers will root those out. But they look like they've literally ploughed up your lawn. So I'm thinking from what you're saying there, Audrey, that because the holes are still smaller, I would imagine yeah. something like a squirrel has stashed loads of nuts in your grass. Uh, oh, really? And now what they're doing is digging some of them up, ready for, uh, you know, sort of like hunkering down for the winter. So I... That's good news in a way because badgers are an absolute 
nuisance. I'll be very yeah. polite because we're on the BBC. They are a real nuisance and very difficult to control. Squirrels, not quite so much. Um, what you can do um, with squirrels uh, is, I say, once once they've dug up the nuts that they've stashed there, they won't be coming back. They are literally just trying to get their food um, food source that they've they've put there. You could sprinkle down something like chili pepper or pepper dust, something like that. Uh, any mammals are quite sensitive to that, so um, that's one possibility. But do you have do you have dogs, Audrey, or cats, or anything like that? No, we do have the cats come into the garden. Okay, okay. So if you were to put some, like, say, some pepper dust or some chili powder down, then that wouldn't be a problem. And I think, as I say, it sounds more like you've got squirrels, Audrey, than badgers. So I'm hoping that's some good news for you. Hope so too. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you very much for your call. We're going to move straight on to um, Brenda, who is called from Dartford, and you've got uh, a question for me, Brenda, about your tree. Hello there, Lucy. Yes. Hi. Um, well, I did speak to Ken about a year ago about this particular tree, uh, which was in a garden at the back of me, and the property was on the market for quite some time, mm. not selling, and the tree grew and grew. It. It's a tree of heaven. Oh, lovely. I, yeah, I, it is beautiful, very pretty. Yes. But so invasive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it had got to about 30 foot high. And a lot of the branches were hanging over my garden. I couldn't put my washing out and it was over my driveway. So I did get a professional win and cut some of it back. Mm-hmm. And the tree just retaliated and grew and <laughs> even more. Um, and apparently, what, from what I've researched, it will do this to, for survival. Um, well, the house has now been sold. New owners cut the tree down completely. Mm-hmm. But now I've got a forest of young trees. Of all the suckers. Growing yes. all over my garden and my next door neighbour has. Oh, gosh. And Brenda. the thing is, yeah. I've, I've, you know, snipped them off with sectors and that. They come up ten times bigger. Yes. What yeah. can I do? Uh, do I poison them or? Well, I this this is the thing because the the main stump uh, when it was um, when that main Elanthus tree of heaven was taken out, the main stump should have been killed off with some kind of um, like weed killer. Uh, there used to be something called root out, which was uh, you can get similar products on the market now, but that's what the professionals should have used, and it mm-hmm. sounds like possibly that maybe they didn't, or if they did, it wasn't strong enough to kill uh, the um, the whole of the root system because now the roots that are still alive are producing their own shoots, what we call suckers, and they right. can appear they can appear metres away from that main trunk. Oh, so they are. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, what you could do, Brenda, there's none of these answers are going to be easy, so brace yourself for that because sadly, yeah. um, you know, as I say, suckering trees are quite difficult to, difficult to eradicate. So you could spray the individual shoots with something like Roundup or Tumbleweed. So that could be done. Or something slightly uh, um, more appropriate for woody plants is is something called Brushwood Killer. So go to the garden centre and ask for some of those products. Right. Um, You could dig some of the suckers out. Um, They won't be too deep down. They'll be quite near to the surface. So that might be possible, especially if you've got a lighter soil. So... um, as I say, it's not going to be easy, but be persistent. And those are the two best treatments for killing suckers uh, oh, from, right. from suckering trees. Because in my back garden, they're coming up uh, through my patio, through my lawn. And in the front, they're all, all along my container garden. 
Yeah. Yeah, Loads what a shame. What a shame. Yeah, I've got um, an old Shenomalies uh, in my garden that's um, it's suckered like crazy. And I'm forever having just to go in there with a spade and chop bits off and pull them up. So, Brenda, I think that's that's one way to do it. Or as I say, use a, a, a strong weed killer to kill those suckers off. I'm going to move on now to Helen in Romford. Helen, sorry to keep you waiting. Now you have a Gora, which is a beautiful flower. How can I help with that? Um, yes, I bought it in Hyde Hall. And I oh, can't nice. remember when I cut it back last year and how far down I cut it back. Ah, so you want... got a few little flowers on it. Is it what colour are the, the flowers of the, the ones white. you've got? Yeah, the white, because nice you can get white. pink as well, can't you? They are... Yeah, a little, I think there's a little bit of pink in it. Lo- well, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. That, the, um, Lovely. They are, the, they're like a, um, like I say, a real billowy flower that, that comes into its own in the second part of summer. They really do look That's stunning. Right. And yeah, they're, fully, they're fully hardy. So what oh, you could right. do, if you wanted to, is cut it down to... Um, I would say maybe something like six inches at the moment. Sort of go over it with the shears, something like that. Um, you don't cut them down to beneath soil level. You cut them so they're more like when you prune a lavender, something along those oh, lines. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So about six, seven inches tall with the shears. If it's still flowering, then enjoy it for the moment. Um, we are going to get some warm days again next week. I know we're having a cold spell at the minute because of the, the north winds, but that is yeah. just temporary for the weekend. So it might keep on flowering next week for you. So um, I might keep it until I would next, do. Yeah, yeah, the end of next yeah, week. Definitely. Um, do I cut it back again before it, like next year before it. Um, or no, I would just cut it back now. Cut it back. Oh, I can say, well, as I say, in about about a week's or fortnight's time. Yeah, uh, and that should be sufficient for it. So. Oh, that's lovely. I listen every week, Lucy. It's a lovely program. Oh, oh that, thank you very much for that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Helen. Okay, you take care. I'm going to move straight on to Margaret. Uh, in oh, Walton on the Nays. We've got we've got a beach out there, Margaret. What's what's it like today? Is it nice and sunny? And uh, would you want to be on the beach today oh. in, in Walton or not? It's beautiful. Ah, oh. it's water wall. Gorgeous, gorgeous. I bet it is. And you've got a euonymus, so I knew I have got. Um, I had it. I've got a little uh, line of euonymus mm-hmm. coming down my drive, um, and one of them was just bending over um, and bending over the drive, and I've taken it out. I haven't managed to get rid of all the roots which are worrying me, um, but I want to put something in its place. Right. Um, I've got. I want to put something in its place that doesn't. It is compact and doesn't grow taller than four foot. Ah, oh, okay. So the euonymus, you do know that you could cut that back quite hard if you wanted to. Are you? Have you thought about that as an option, or are you? No, this one was growing out from further inwards than I wanted it to be because I've I've made a flower bed further inwards. I see. Right. So it's just getting a little bit too big. Um, yes. So when you say you've got a flower bed there, is it a full? Is it in full sun or the shade or what do you have there? It's in. Uh, it's in about three quarters sun. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it gets a good amount of sunshine. I'm thinking yeah. about something like a low-growing hebe, because the onimus are nice evergreen hebe plants. Now, which is on the front of mm-hmm. the, this hedge, goes around the corner of my drive and the pavement. Yeah. And I've got a hebe there, which is a purple one, and that's quite tall. You can get a lot, much smaller ones, Margaret. You can get some some hebes that are incredibly dwarf, and they grow oh, right. no, no, they grow no bigger than say a box or a lavender plant. So, so do have a look at some of the other hebes that your your local garden centre might sell. And mentioning lavender, lavender is also in a site that's got relatively good sunshine. That would also make a lovely edging plant, and it wouldn't get too large. So, there's a couple of ideas for you there. Got a lot of lavender in the garden already. Oh, you see, <laughs> popular choice. 
<laughs> but I say TB is definitely worth a look, Margaret. Okay, um, I'm going to quickly squeeze in one or two more calls if we can. We've got Barry uh, from Basildon who's got a question about brambles. Hello. Yes. Good morning. Hi. Um, 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 a month a month ago, I had all my back garden cut down, all the brambles, both sides, blackberry bushes, everything. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed in the last two weeks they started to grow again. Can you recommend something? What will kill them? Oh, a big a big spade, Barry. <laughs> That's what you want. Um, you can, and I have because I um, was brought up in the woodland, and one of my summer projects was to actually go through the woods and clear out pathways and get rid of the brambles. And um, you can, if you are accurate with a spade, if you take out that chunky piece of um, sort of basal growth that, that brambles had, it's like the, the bit between the stems and the roots. If you ch- chunk that out with a spade, then that actually will stop them growing back. So you can do it physically in that department. Or um, I think I mentioned it early on, there's something called SBK brushwood killer, which is a more, um, it's a, a weed killer that's very uh, appropriate for more woody plants. And that can be used on brambles as well. You can just apply that to the stump once you cut the, the brambles back. So that might be worth a go. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. This is BBC Essex. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash BBC Essex. Next week, Ken will be back to answer your gardening questions. So if you've got one, why not give him a call on 0800 111 and be part of the programme every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Lucy Chamberlain. This is BBC Essex.